and say thank you for your awesome love your love that surrounds that satisfies thank you lord thank you lord we gotta sing it out we gotta lift our voice and say thank you lord thank you lord oh we gotta say thank you jesus for the breath in my lungs thank you lord for life today thank you lord thank you lord oh jesus stay with me thank you lord thank you lord say jesus at the center of it all say with me say jesus at the center of it all from beginning to the Everything. 
Can we just raise our voices together as a family and tell Jesus today, from my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the of my life. Oh, fill this place with your presence. Fill this place with your love. Fill this place with your peace. Fill this place with your presence, God. Can you just join with me right now and start singing your own song to him? Just tell him how you feel. Come on, tell him what he's done in your life. Oh, Jesus, there's no one like you. No one like you. No one like you. Come on, that's worship today. That's worship. Come on, keep going. Keep telling him, oh, God, we love you. I love you. My life is yours. My life is yours, I have decided to. to follow Jesus. 
today can you just raise your hands right now and say God I've decided to follow you I've decided to put you at the center of my life God I'm deciding to give you everything 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 because you're worth it all Lord you're worth it all your love is worth it all say I have again just the voices no instruments playing let's just lift up our voices I have decided come on nice and loud let's lift up our voices this afternoon we have decided to follow Jesus
as the music begins to play again, Lord, we just thank you so much for the cross. We thank you, Jesus, that you shed your blood on Calvary so we could have a second chance, oh God. We thank you, Jesus, that you came to save us so we could look behind and say goodbye to the world and look forward and say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you because nothing in this world can satisfy. Nothing else is worth it in this life. You are the one that I need. You are my everything. And if you're here this morning and that's not your heart, I pray that you seek after God today because he is the reason why we live. There is no other purpose. See, I have been given a purpose. I have been given a destiny. Like that song that we were singing right at the beginning, there is no purpose in life without God in the center. He must be the center of it all. And as you're focusing your hearts on Jesus today, I want you to think about your life. I want you to think of what he's brought you out of. The path that you were on was a path of destruction. Whether you think you were too good or too bad, it doesn't matter. No matter what kind of life you lived before Jesus, it was a path of destruction leading to hell. But Jesus, he came and he made a way for us to have a new life. And there was a time in your, in your life where you said, I'm deciding to follow Jesus. The whole world can be against me, but I'm going to go after him. And this needs to be your anthem today. Because you may not be in a storm, but I promise you, the Bible is clear that troubles will come in life. But you have to put your foot in the ground. You have to put a stake in the ground and say, no matter what comes my way, no matter what storms hit me, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to trust him with my life. I'm going to trust him with my future. I'm going to trust him with the unknown. I'm going to give him my fears. I'm going to give him my doubts because he's worthy. He's made a way for me. So I want us to lift up our hands. Let's sing that again because this is going to be the anthem of your life. You have decided to follow Jesus and nothing can tear you apart from him. Come on, church, let's get excited. We have decided to follow our
Oh, Jesus, we glorify your name. You are so awesome, oh God. We worship you today. We give you all the glory, all the honor, all the praise that is due your name. There is no one like you, oh God. You are the only one. You stand alone and you are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our lives, completely surrendered to you. So we stand before you today and we say, Jesus, have all of us. Have your way in us and through us, oh God. Use our life for your glory because we've decided to follow you and we want to bring a dying world with us, oh God. We don't want to come to heaven alone. We want to win the nations, oh God. We want souls. Lord, have your way in this time. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for what you're doing in us, oh God. And we love you, Jesus. We love you so much. We thank you that you have forgiven us. And we love much because of that, oh God. And you are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our adoration, Lord. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. We worship you, oh God. Have your way. Have your way today, Lord Jesus. Continue to move on our hearts. Lead and guide this time, Lord. We want you to have full reign. Full reign in our lives, oh God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. I just feel like we need to tarry just a little bit longer. I feel like maybe somebody has a word. I want to open up this time for the gifts to flow. If anybody has a word, please share it. Hallelujah, Jesus, speak because we're listening. If you're hungry, lift up your hands today because God's going to fill us. Ooh, come on. Oh, Jesus, we want to be filled to overflow. Come on. There's more of Jesus. Hallelujah. There's more, guys. I want us to sing one more song before we move from this moment. When you're hungry... God is going to fill you up. So if you're hungering for more of the presence of God, he is here today. We want more. We want more of you, God. Come on, if you're excited about Jesus, let's go after God just for a couple more minutes. We want more, God. We want more. We speak. We want more. You move. We want more. We want the fullness. You move, you move. We want more. You speak. We want more. You move. We want more. We want the fullness. More time. You move. We want more. You speak. We want more. You move. We want more. 
we want the fullness. You move, we want more. You speak, we want more. You move, we want more. We want the fullness. Release, release the fullness of your spirit. righteousness oh God be glorified in our lives we want you to shine bright in us and through us in Jesus name and everybody said amen, amen. and give the Lord a hand clap of praise today Woo! we serve an awesome God you guys can grab your seats this afternoon we want to welcome you to Metro Praise International for those that may not know who I am my name is Nancy Wyrostek I'm one of the apostolic elders here on behalf of all the pastors and the leaders, we want to say thank you for joining us today to worship the Lord and go deep in his presence. At this time, I'm going to preach the gospel to you. The gospel means good news. How many of you guys like good news? We don't really like bad news. We like good news. And I want to let you know today that Jesus is the good news. The fact that Jesus came is the good news that all mankind needs to hear. So the message is for those of you today who are not right with God. You do not have a relationship with Jesus. You've either been running away, you lived for him at one point, you're not right, or you just never made the commitment. I want to challenge you today to listen to what the word of God says. In 2 Peter 3.9, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So the Lord is not slow in his promise. We have to remember that. But what promise is that referring to? The promise that is referring to him not being, not forgetting and being slow in is that the fact that he's coming back. So his promise is, listen, guys, I'm going to come back for you one day. And even though 2015 years have passed by, I want to let you guys know Jesus is coming back. And he is not slow in keeping that promise. The reason why he hasn't come yet is because he's being patient with us. He's being patient with his creation. Why? Because he doesn't want anyone to perish and suffer eternal damnation in hell. He wants everyone to come to repentance. He died on the cross and shed his blood for all mankind. Not just for a few, 
for everyone. Whoever, whosoever come shall come. Whosoever will shall come. If you want Jesus today, if you want to be spared that path, that road of destruction, today is your day. So with all eyes closed all across this room as we all focus on Jesus, I want you guys to search your heart. And if you're not right with God, you got to get right today. you got to get some things situated, get some things in order, and stop making excuses of why you can't live for Jesus 100%. Surrender it all. And as I begin to pray for you, I want you to pray to Jesus and say, God, take my life. I'm yours. I want to live for you. Forgive me of my sins. God, I thank you for every single person in this room that they get to hear the gospel message, the good news of salvation, that you came, that you died, was buried, and rose again on the third day. And God, we thank you that you sent your son so that we could be saved. I pray that every person in this room gets right with you if they are not right with you, that they would accept your forgiveness, and that they would repent of their sins, God, and be renewed, be born again. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said amen and amen. Please stand with your feet with me this afternoon. We are so thankful that you guys are all here. If you mean business with Jesus and you want to get your life right, I want you to see our prayer workers, Steve and Carmen. They're our deacons here at the church. They would love to pray with you again as you commit your life to the Lord. And they'll show you, they'll teach you, they'll, you know, they'll show you how to get plugged into the discipleship here because we want to be a part of this journey with you. We don't want you to just go off by yourself. We are here as a church to guide you along this journey as you live for Jesus. Amen. Who's excited about that? Come on. This is a good, healthy church. We love God and we love people. Let's confess this together on the count of three in just a second. The reason why we confess our confession of faith every single week together is because this is our Christian worldview. And this is how we see the, the world around us. It's through this lens. It's through the, the word of God. So let's just declare this over our, our world today on the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead, I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Come on, clap it up for Jesus. Spend some time fellowshipping. Meet somebody that you don't know.
church today. Come on, make some noise. Look to your neighbor, give him a high five, say, I'm so thankful that you're here. Look to your other neighbors, say, come back next week. Come on. It's so good to have all of you guys here. Welcome to Metro Praise International. Thank you again for joining us for our second service. Our services here are every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. And then on Fridays, we have Elevate, 7 p.m. for ages 11 to 18 years old. Our teenagers are on fire for God, and that's where you want your teenagers to be. Keep on inviting your neighbors, your friends, anybody in that age group. Be here on Friday nights. We want you guys to join us for our All Nations Dinner. We are very excited about that. November 15th at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. for both of our services. We will be having an all-nations potluck dinner. So please come ready to represent your country with your dish. Um, how many cooks do I have in the house? How many of you guys can throw down? Come on. I'm like kind of halfway there. I don't cook that good, but I can do it if I really, really try. But I'm going to try to represent Greece. My husband represents Italy and Poland. So we're going we're gonna to do our best. It might be store-bought, but it's okay. It'll, it'll be something. Um, so come ready for that because we love food. We love food. Who loves food? I know I love food. I'm sure everybody loves food. So let's just show off our countries and have a good time. We want to let you guys know that our today's our ordination service. Do we have that slide up? There we go. So today we are ordaining some of our deacons. We are so happy for them, so proud of them. They have graduated the 201 class. Today is their day. And just to let you guys know, if you haven't been around MPI very long, we are very excited about our ordination services. They're like our Super Bowl, okay? So we look forward to them so much. So today we are going to be celebrating three of our graduates being ordained as deacons. You will meet them in just a little bit. So if you are here as a family, um, friend, co-worker, neighbor, whoever you are, if you are here for that, thank you for coming and showing your love and support for these people because they worked hard for it. Our, and I just want to continue on. Our vision here at uh, Metro Praise is very simple. It's loving God and loving people. Look to your neighbor, say, love God. Look to your other neighbor, say, love people. And those are the two greatest commandments that Jesus gave to us. And so that's how we should live our life. How many of you guys agree we should live like that? That our discipleship strategy is threefold. It's connect, mentor, send. The way we want to connect you to the church and connect you to Jesus is through our life groups. On the back of your handout, you have an, um, a schedule of our quarterly life groups of what we have going on, the days, times, and places, and the type of life group, find a place to connect. Find a place that will meet the needs of you and your family and get connected. Here's a snapshot of what we have this week. Today kicking it off is our single moms. Come on, child care is included. 6.30, meet at that address. Powerful women of God. If you are a single mom, that's where you want to be. You will get so encouraged. Wednesdays every week, it's our King's Kids Life Group, infant to 11 years old, 6.30 here at the church. Thursday every week, our gang outreach goes out on the streets, 18 years and up, 7 p.m. You can meet at that address. They're winning um, basically all the gangs on the streets. We're literally going into their hoods and saying, you got to live for Jesus. We're snatching them out of the fires of hell. And I said in the first service, and I'll say it again, those ones that we're reaching, they're 15, 16, 17 years old. Those are our sons and our daughters that need to hear about Jesus. They're children. So they're going out and they're doing that. So if you have a passion about that, please meet them every Friday. We have a two adult Bible studies. One is at the Govea's house. The other one is at the Walker's house. Both of those Bible studies have child care, 18 years and up, 
7 p.m., be there. If you're an adult, get connected at those Bible studies. That is where you're going to build friendships in the church that are going to last a lifetime. You're going to get encouraged by the word of God and, and just share your life with everybody around you. And Saturday, our evangelism team meets here. All ages are welcome at 5 p.m. meeting at the church to hit the streets and share their faith about Jesus. And I just got to brag on her a little bit. Ellie, stand up. She testified. Come on. Yes, give it up. Give it up for Ellie Maris. She is, you could turn around. Don't be shy. I just feel like she's my little sister. For, I just feel such a kindred spirit. I love her so much. I am so proud of her. The youth group, the youth, the youth pastors, leaders are doing an amazing job. She is 15, going on the streets, preaching the gospel, and getting persecuted for her faith. If a 15-year-old girl full of the spirit and the fire of God in her bones can do it, everybody can do it, okay? So look to your neighbor say, don't be scared. Get out there and preach the gospel, okay? Because it's for everybody. We are all called to go out and preach the gospel. So I had to, you know, just kind of go off on that a little bit because we want every one of you guys to experience what it's like to share your faith on the streets. It changes you. It changes you. It changes you. So don't be scared. Go meet them. Then we want to mentor you. Somebody say mentor. We have leaders ready to take you through the 101 book. Welcome to your new life. Let us join you on this journey of living for Jesus. When you graduate 101, you'll get into our 201 class. Disciples that make disciples will teach you how to be a leader in the church. Forgot to use your life so we can send you out to win more. And our goal here at MPI is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches and 500 around the world. If you want to be a part of that, say amen. And I shared it earlier, this church is 10 years old. My husband and I started it in our apartment. Four people, look where we are now. It's all God's faithfulness and everybody coming along board and saying, I want to win a city for Jesus. I want to win my nation for Jesus. I want to win the world for Jesus. So let's do it. Look to your neighbor and say, let's do it. Woo, you guys are really dragging it out of me today. I love it. All right, let's keep moving. We're going to get into the giving book lesson, Disciples Giving Book. We are on the last section, and you know what that means. We're coming to the end of the year. Section four is all about the hindrances that we face that come against us being faithful with our finances. So today is lesson one, overcoming greed. That is the hindrance that we're going to be learning about. A hindrance is something that prevents us from being obedient to God's commands. How many of you guys experience those in your life? Hindrances that keep pushing you back? And saying, oh, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I could obey right now. We need to get rid of those and we need to push through. So let's read in Matthew 6, 24. If you could follow, uh, follow along on the screen. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Here are the main points. Number one, no one can serve two masters. Notice how Jesus states that the number one competing master for men's heart is money. Why? Because with money, man can temporarily act as his, as his own God. In pride, man says, it's my money and I can do whatever I want with it. But we can't do that. God has to be our master and everything else falls in line after that. Number two, greed is valuing money above God's word. Many people think the sin of greed is just when the rich people act wicked to get more money, like crooked politicians, dishonest businessmen, perverse entertainers, etc. However, according to the Bible, greed is whenever we choose to value money over keeping God's commands. And that doesn't matter if you have $100 in your bank account or $100,000 in your bank account. Greed does not look at the economic status of your life. You could be greedy and be poor. 
You could be greedy and have a lot. It doesn't matter. It's a heart issue. We need to be generous. We need to get that out and say, God, you're in control of my finances. You are my master. I'm going to follow you. Number three, serve God, not money. When God is your master, money will work for you. However, if you make money your master, you will not be able to serve God. Therefore, obey God's commands concerning your finances. There's freedom and security in that. Here's a summary. Overcome greed by making Jesus the master of your finances. Let's apply this in three ways. Number one, be faithful in giving your tithes, 10% of your total income and offerings, anything you give after your tithes. Number two, repent if you have not always obeyed God's commands in your finances. We have to come into alignment with his, his will for our lives. And number three, make Jesus the master of your heart and wallet. Who's ready to confess this over your life? Come on, uh, on the count of three. One, two, three. By the power of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the word of God, I will not be hindered by greed, laziness, unbelief, discouragement, or fatigue in my giving to God. I will overcome bitterness, impatience, pride, fear, idolatry, and live a life of obedience in my finances. If you want to do that today, let's stand up to our feet and let's prepare to give God our best, our tithes and our offerings. Again, here at MPI, we believe that a tithe is 10% of our total income, and an offering is an amount that's between you and the Lord that we designate towards missions and the building fund. We thank you for partnering with us to see what God is going to do in our city. We're, we're still in the building fund to raise the money for the signs. We're really believing that it's going to come through by all of us getting together, being generous. By the end of the year, we should have that up. We're really excited about that. We also have two other convenient ways for you to give or purchase the items that we have in the church using your debit or your credit cards. One is at our easy-to-use website online, or in the back, you can see me after service if you have any questions. And now that you guys are all standing and I have your attention, I have an important announcement. We have that sign in the front of the gate in the parking lot where it says overflow parking with the arrow pointing to around the corner. If you guys have been parking uh, in that second parking lot down the alley, we want to let you know that today is the last day that we're going to be able to do that because they're going to start construction. Onward House has purchased all of these storefronts, so they're going to start remodeling them. So that parking lot is going to be closed to us for at least 12 weeks. So don't think about that extra parking lot. Just park in the streets, come early, park in the parking lot that we have here available because um, we don't want you anybody getting towed. So just keep that in mind. When we, when we bring it back up to you and, and it's open, we'll let you guys know when it's available. Sounds good? Come on. Let's recite this together. Luke 6, 38. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your faithfulness, Lord. And we want to overcome every hindrance in our life, God. We lay down the hindrance of greed through giving our tithes and our offerings and trusting you to be the master of our life so that everything comes into alignment. I pray that you bless the gift and the giver. I pray that you would use us for your glory. Let us win Chicago and the nations for you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen, amen, amen. Please come forward as you give and thank you so much for your generosity.
many are ready for an ordination? Can I hear an amen? Come on, let's have a good ordination here today. Can I get the ordination candidates to stand up for me, please? Come here to the front. We're going to applaud for them when I hand them their certificate, but I want them to come and stand before you today. This is amazing. Brian and Carol, of course, are in a great relationship together. Oh, we got two, this is all relationships. And then Augustine and Nandri, this just hit me right now. And so as they're standing, would you just open up your Bible with me quickly to the book of 1 Timothy so you can see why we're doing what we're doing here today. Today we're going to be honoring them and what God has been teaching us to do. 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we'll just be brief and we'll look at it, it's up there. I want you to see what God is doing in their life and what it says in the Word. How many are happy to be in church? Can I get an amen? You know if I'm wearing a suit, it's a special day. If you look at um, 1 Timothy chapter 3, it talks about the qualifications for overseers and deacons. Another word for an overseer is an elder. And so our church believes in elders and deacons. Now, in the culture today, you mostly know leaders in the church as pastors. But that was actually a tradition that came way after the fact. Um, that was kind of like a deviation of the Catholics doing priest. Priest is nowhere found in the New Testament as a position, okay? The two main positions are elders and deacons or overseers and deacons. And uh, what those gifts, the fivefold ministry, pastors, prophets, apostles, teachers, and um, which one I forget? Okay, let's go apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. There we go, five. That's found in Ephesians 5 is the ministry gifts that God gives elders and deacons. So I'm not here to cause a big revolution and make us get mad at the way the church is right now. But if you really want to look back at history, this is the only thing that talks about leadership in the Bible, elders and deacons. And what did elders and deacons do? Some of them were apostles and started churches. Peter was an apostle. And Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 5, just turn there quickly so you don't think I'm telling you a fibby. Does anybody think I would fib you in church? Look at this just real quick as they stand up here and get some exercise with me. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. Peter's talking here. He says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who will also share in the glory to be revealed. So Paul, uh, rather, excuse me, Peter was an apostle, but he was also an elder. Does everybody see that? Okay, so that's very clear. That's not something that it's controversial. It's really just a, a traditional thing in churches where they got confused and stopped really doing it uh, the, the exact biblical way. And we're a church that really kind of prides ourselves, uh, not, not a bad pride, but like we enjoy doing the things of God according to the simplest way. And so if you look at this passage in First uh, Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, the church should have elders and deacons. Now, what do elders and deacons do? Elders, well, let me just, can I turn there with you to Ephesians chapter 4? Because I said Ephesians 5, but it's actually Ephesians 4. I'll show you. Go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23, and you'll see what elders and deacons do. Elders and deacons, let's go, um, El, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 11. If you're there, say I'm there. Okay, like two of you, I'll wait here just for a second. Are you guys excited? You guys look so nice. Did you guys have a good trip in Dakota? Yes, we did. All right. And how is your guys' relationship going? Is it going good? We're good. good to glad to have your dad here. That's awesome. Yes. So here, uh, you know, I'm just taking my time explaining this to you guys. Look at it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. So Christ gave, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. 
Christ himself gave these gifts. Those five gifts operate in what we call the fivefold ministry. Okay, everybody, I mean, okay, let me just do it like this. I was distracted. Okay, here we go. Everybody say fivefold ministry. And everybody say two offices. Okay, so the very simple thing is there is a fivefold ministry and there are two offices. The two leadership positions of the church are overseers and deacons. Now, I challenge anybody, anybody from any other background, Roman Catholic, whatever, Baptist, it doesn't matter to me. Go in your Bible and find for me a different structure of leadership. Find it for me. If you're a Roman Catholic, find for me cardinal. Find for me pope. Find any of those positions there. You won't be able to do it. As I just showed you, Peter says, as a fellow elder, I am an elder. I appeal to you as a fellow elder. Do these things. Um, and, and just to turn there, I'm going to be jumping around, so you guys just watch me right here. And what he said to those elders is he said, pastor the churches. So what do elders do? Elders pastor the church. So he says, as a fellow elder, I urge you, the elders among you, exercising oversight but willingly, uh, excuse me, he says, um, he said, verse 2, give a shepherd's care. Let me put this in a version. Can I give this in a version that we all like here? Can I do that? Is that Okay. Okay, let me just do this. i got to open up another NIV. We've been having a lot of fun with me putting in these new versions here. But, uh, I mean, this new technology, but i got to do it better here. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to re be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock. Everybody say, be shepherds. Now, what does that word shepherd mean? If you looked right here in the Greek, that word shepherd, pimone, is where we get the word pastor. This is where we get the word pastor from. So when you look at the word shepherd, it's actually the word pastor. And so the Bible translates the word, uh, the Greek word pimone, shepherd, more than it translates the word uh, pastor. Because as in their understanding, they were going to be shepherding. They were going to be pastoring. And you see right here this circle that I have here? These are the different ways that the words are translated. And for the most part, the word is translated shepherd. And that's what it means to pastor somebody. Okay, is everybody with me there? Okay, now going back to what we're doing here today, 1 Timothy chapter 3, just to get everybody caught up here. And I'll stop doing the Bible study and we'll just start ordaining and having fun. Is there's elders and deacons. So I am an elder. That means I have the highest office in the church, the highest office. What are my giftings? Well, I've started a church. So that's like an apostle. When I go out evangelizing, that's like an evangelist. When I write books, that's like a teacher. Are you guys tracking with me? I don't have a lot of the prophetic gift. That means I'm not really having a lot of foresight into your future. God's not really telling me what you did last night. Now, my wife does get that, and she gets dreams about people in the church, and sometimes they're scary accurate. I'm talking like it's so accurate it makes you afraid, like, whoa, what's going on? Now, she doesn't get them all the time, but she's had some very serious dreams, and, and that's another discussion and some foretelling, okay? So we're elders, but we have different gifts. Now what the church says to do is to raise up deacons, and that's what we're all here for today. Everybody say deacons. Now, if you look right here in that same passage, 1 Timothy chapter 3, we see that the deacons are going to be like elders in the same way, worthy of respect. So the first section, verses 1 through 7, talked about what elders are going to do, those who are going to be in charge of things. Elder just means older, overseer means overseeing something, and it's interchangeable. It's the same kind of word uh, that's used in both situations, and I'll just show that to you in Titus. Titus is another place where the Bible talks about church government, and in Titus chapter 1, he said this, re in verse 5, he said, this reason I left you 
to, re, you know, I, I, I left you to create the set in order what was remaining matters and to appoint elders in every town. Everybody say appoint elders. Okay, and it says an elder must be blameless. You guys see that? And then now look at verse 7. For the overseer must be blameless as one entrusted with God's word. And so you see here in the same description, job description, he interchanges the word elder and overseer. He says the elder has to be, uh, the elder has to be like this, the elder has to be like this, and the overseer has to be like this. He's, he's not talking about two different positions. He's just talking about the same guy. You can read that through. That's not a trick. And so it just shows you in the early church that they considered that word, to, uh, the, the position of elder and overseer, just to be interchangeable. Okay, is everybody with me? Same Timothy here, uh, same Paul here writing to Timothy. He says, appoint elders. They need to do what's right. And then now uh, we see that he needs to appoint deacons. And everybody say servants. The deacon role is the servant of the church. That's found in the book of Acts. The apostles were getting too busy to do everything. And they said, we need some helpers. And if you look at this word deacon right here, the word deacon literally means servant, a minister. In the time of the early church, they were the ones who would help feed the poor and look after the widows, those who needed uh, you know, help around their house. Uh, minister actually means that same kind of thing. Do you see the word there, servant, and also minister? That is how the word dekanos in the Greek is translated. How many are learning something? Okay, now look what it says. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect. So our friends here today, they are to be worthy of respect, just like you would respect me as an elder, okay? Just as you would respect my wife and I, you are to respect them. Uh, they are to be worthy of respect, sincere. Do you guys think they're sincere for God? Do you guys think so? Not indulging in much wine. That means the deacons can't be deacon around getting drunk, you know. Oh, I've had too much wine to drink. Okay, where's the church? I'm ready to help somebody today. No, they can't do that. Now, Jesus made water into wine. They can drink within moderation if they would choose to do so. If they don't want to, that's up to them. But they cannot indulge in much wine. They cannot pursue dishonest gain. Let's keep going. Look at verse 9. They must hold to the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience, okay? So we need to look at them and say, hey, they're living out that Christian life. And as I said in the first service, this is not to be mean, but I want to really be honest here. A lot of people are looking at the Catholic Church and the Pope and traditions and incense and robes and hats and all of these cathedrals, and they think, well, that's what it means to have deep truth. No, that's not how the apostles lived. None of them wore funny hats. None of them had cathedral. Most of the churches of Paul and Peter were in homes. You can study this. They were humble men. They dressed like normal men. They were just like the people. People you're seeing here, the women of the Bible that are awesome, and that if you if you look to the Bible, you'll see examples of a woman deacon, and so it can be male, female, it can be you know any gender, it doesn't matter. If you look to Romans uh, chapter uh, 15, or excuse me, Romans chapter 16, you'll see that there's a woman deacon that is like so awesome. She's the bomb. It says, "Now I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who was a servant of the church in Caesarea." And that same word servant is a deacon. And you know what? That N-E-T should translate a deacon, but a lot of translations don't want to put the word deacon there because they don't want the woman to look like she has authority. But look, if I go into that same NIV version and I go to Romans chapter 16, look what it says. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon in the church, right? So they need to put that, that actual word there, even though it could be in servant. But when it says in these ways, when Paul's talking directly like this, it means an office. And so some translators are like, no, we don't want the women to be able to have that office, so we're just going to make it say just generically servant. But no, she was a legitimate leader in her church. Everybody think that's cool, amen, especially women, okay? 
So the Bible says that these deacons are to be worthy of respect, not pursuing dishonest gain. They're to hold the deep truths of the faith. So what they're doing right now is really more accurate to the church than the Catholic Church letting up smoke signals to know you, let you know who the Pope is. This is how the ancient church for the last 2,000 years has been growing. And this kind of church that you're a part of today, a non-denominational church, a church that doesn't have a governing body somewhere else but is locally governed, is the largest kind of church in the world today. And those of us who believe in speaking in other tongues, that's the largest group of Christians. So I know a lot of times we can look at the Roman Catholics and we can go, oh, that's so awesome and all of that. But they're not really doing what Christ called them to do. Some of them may know Jesus, and I'm not here to cause an argument about that. I'm just saying what you're seeing here is the real deal. This is how the church grows. If Paul, let's put it this way, if Paul went into a, uh, a time machine and like kind of like the back to the future, he went to the future, you know, what would he see? And he went, looked around for a church, I guarantee you he would have nothing in common with the Roman Catholic Church. He would go, what are we doing here? He, he, this would not remind him of what he was doing. But if he came around here, he'd be like, this reminds me of what I did. And then the life groups, how we meet in homes, he would go, that's what we were doing. The, the going out and uh, preaching on the streets, he would go, that's what I did. You get what I'm saying? We go out on the streets and preach. That's what he would say I did. Now, just to be fair, because a lot of people go, you beat up on the Roman Catholics. Look, I'll beat up on the televangelist too, the fake Christian pastor who takes the money, abuses the people, gets mega churches, mega bucks, and does little for the community. Okay, Paul would say, what are you doing? What is this, a carnival, a circus? Is this some gladiator fight? Like, what are we watching? Like, what is this entertainment? You know, if we come to Rome to be entertained by the pagans? You know, Paul would not find a lot in common with that either. Nothing wrong with big churches. We'll be a big church too. But I'm saying what he would find to be the most commonality is everyday people leading in the church, making disciples that make disciples. Can I hear an amen? So that's what they're doing. Number uh, Verse number 10, they must be first tested, and if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons, which brings me to the point of why they're standing here. Because now if you have anything against them, you need to publicly let us know. You can publicly tell us in this meeting, just like at a wedding ceremony, if you have any objections, speak now or forever hold your peace, because these have been people who have worked among you. They have been in our 101 and 201. Remember, our vision is connect, mentor, send. Come on, what is it? Connect, mentor, amen. So when you look at the vision of the church, and we're here every week telling you the same exact thing. I'll just go here to our website. Everybody say YMPI. Amen. You go to that page, YMPI. We talk about our history, our name, and all of these things. You'll see that this is what we do. You hear the, uh, the vision of this every single week. Loving God, loving people. That's what Jesus said are two greatest commandments, right? And that we're to make disciples of all the nations. So how are we going to make disciples? We have to have a strategy. Everybody goes, strategy. Thank you. Well, it's connect, mentor, hayunkin, send, right? We've got to send the fireballs. It's not just connect, mentor, stay. It's connect, mentor, send, okay? You've got to send out your leaders. So how are we sending out our leaders? By them being elders and deacons, people that are trustworthy and, t and they've been tested. And how have they been tested? In our 101 and 201. Can I get an amen? So when you're looking at what they went through in the early church, I don't know what their tests were. We don't know a lot of it, but we know some of it that it was memorization. It was helping the poor. These were the ways they knew people were full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. 
Let, if anyone has anything against them, or let the, and then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. So does anybody have anything against these wonderful people here? Okay. Uh, in the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. How many believe that both these women right here are not malicious talkers, they're not gossipers, and they're trustworthy? Can I get an amen? Then it says a deacon must be faithful to his wife and manage his children and household well. So one day if these men get married, they need to take care of their wives and manage their household well. Because if they don't take care of their house, how can they come take care of God's house? How many are tired of hypocrites in the church? Well, this is why our church doesn't have a lot of hypocrites. And yeah, there may be empty chairs here on Sunday, but would you rather have the church be smaller and be disciples or bigger and a lot of hypocrites? So we take our time growing the church through discipleship with our leaders, setting the example, and so we can eliminate the problem of, of hypocrisy. That doesn't mean they won't make a mistake. You have to understand the leadership, including me, that the Bible talks about who are blameless, and if you see it right here at the beginning, it says about the overseers that they must be blameless, and I'll show you here, and it says, and it says in the same way for deacons, they have to be uh, worthy of respect. You'll see here that we are to be blameless, and what blameless literally means is to be above reproach. Here's the word that they're using in this translation. Everybody say above reproach. Now, what does that word mean? Above reproach, blameless, what does this mean? Does it mean they never make mistakes? No, what it means is if they ever make a mistake, they don't continue in it, and any of the mistakes they're doing do not cause us to disqualify them or to take them out of leadership, okay? So as a pastor, have I sinned? Yes, I have sinned. I've been quick to repent and turn from it, but have I ever sinned in a way that would make me have to step down? Now, all sins are the same. It could send you to hell, but there are sins that can have you step down out of leadership, okay? Now, before I get into the church example, let's just think about a marriage example. If I lose my temper with my wife, that's a sin. I can go to hell over that, right? But if I repent, I'm right with God, boom, everything's good. But if I commit adultery on her, it's still a sin, sin's a sin, but now she has means to divorce me. The Bible says she now can divorce me for me committing adultery. She could not divorce me rightfully by me just getting mad and, and, and me asking for forgiveness. Do you guys see the difference? So all sins are sin in the Bible, but they have different consequences in government and in church and in the family. So if you look at the three societies of that we live in or the three structures of culture, we live in a governmental cu culture, you know, that kind of a society way. We live in a church. We live in this community here. We make our rules. We keep them. And then we have our rules within our family. You, you get what I'm saying there? And so what we are saying as leaders and what they are saying is they are not going to disqualify themselves from leadership. That means if these singles have sex before marriage, they're not going to be your deacons anymore because that disqualifies them. Um, if if they have a perverted thought or whatever, they can ask God to forgive them. That's between them and God. They can confess it to another brother or sister to have them pray for them, but they can be forgiven. It doesn't disqualify them. Do you guys get what I'm saying? Pornography addiction would, 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 would disqualify because the lust is untamed. Uh, a, a filthy potty mouth, you know, potty mouth will get you disqualified. And so we as a church, we make these rules that try to go as close as we can to the Bible to what disqualifies you. And then the things that God can work on in you and still be a leader. Does everybody see that? Because how many know if the qualification to be a leader is perfection, you never make a mistake, how many know there would be no leaders? Like, I wouldn't even be here today. Like, we would, we would have to wait and be like, Jesus, we're all in church. Please send down Angel Gabriel to preach to us now. We're done with worship. And then, you know, like he comes through the rafters and then like, okay, I will be preaching to you today, you know. And then, and then he has to leave. 
Well, where did your pastor go? My pastor went to heaven. You know what I'm saying? He's the only one that can be perfect and preach to us. So even though we make mistakes, we're not disqualified. We have to be above reproach. We cannot live in continual sin. And other leaders make sure that they do those things right, and they need to manage their household well. Now, here's the good part. In closing, right here, those who have served well as deacons gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. So they have taken on the call of leadership. There's a lot of sacrifice. There's the coming early and staying late. Uh, there's the leading of Bible studies. This means now they can have life groups. They can do the one-on-one with you with the one on 101 book. Okay, there's a lot of sacrifice. They're all working. Nobody's getting paid, right? And so the Bible says that's a lot of sacrifice, but there's a reward for them. There's a blessing for them. And when you read the Bible, the Bible says that the greatest among us will be the servants of all. Jesus said that. And remember, deacon means servant. And so we are so thankful for them. And we really want to honor them now and lift them up in prayer and just really establish them as leaders in the church. So I'm going to have them each share a little testimony as they get their plaque and um, as we clap for them. So we're all going to clap as we say their names. Can we do that? Augustine Roman Jr. God is so good, and I'm just amazed that, you know, he took a, a drug addict that was high for every day for two years, and, you know, he put so, uh, the enemy tried putting so many stumbling blocks in front of my way, but I did not quit, and God gave me so much grace that he kept me going no matter what, and, uh, you know, it was just a battle of just keep pursuing him and pursuing him no matter what, no matter what the cost is, no matter even if your job gets in the way, hey, I need you to work extra today. Someone else will take that place so that you can make it to whatever it is like life group and keep growing in the faith and the spiritual walk that God has placed us on. So praise God that I'm here. And like I said, I do not take this lightly. I know that this is the beginning of a new chapter in my life and making disciples. And I am very excited to be sent out and continue this tradition that's been going on for the church for 2,000 years. Man, thank you. Thank you for being with us. We love you so much. Augustine and I go back all the way to when I was a youth pastor, and uh, I think that's almost 10 years now. He's a faithful man of God. Nandri Kelly. before Nandri does. I met Nandri as she was going to another church out in, uh, what was that, Waukegan or Gurney? Waukegan. And she came out to lunch with us after I preached at her church. She was so passionate, so on fire for God. And when that church kind of made some changes or closed, did it close or no, new pastor came. She just felt released to go looking for a new church. She came all the way out here, drove every week. And she has been so faithful all of these years. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. For all that you do, you set, set such a good example for all of us, and it encourages me. Would you share some good things? Uh, Pastor Joe, you like putting people on the spot, but I know it's good. It's I told the Lord a long time ago, I never want to be comfortable. So he is 
she's answering my prayer. Um, <laughs> I really thank the Lord for MPI and all the leaders here because, um, you know, I don't want to cry, and I hope I don't, but um, uh, somebody said they hope I did cry. <laughs> um, I really want to just praise the Lord as well and thank him because I couldn't have gotten to this point without him. I, um, I grew up in a Christian home, but a lot of people don't know that, you know, even if you have a good, godly family, as an example, and a good, strong, spirit-filled church to attend every week, that doesn't make you saved. That doesn't save your soul. And I made a decision as a young person to follow the Lord. I can say it hasn't always been easy, but I can definitely tell you that the Lord's blessings have been so much greater than anything the world could have provided. And um, how he's led me, is he's so gracious. I can't um, tell you how many times I've told him things that I can't tell anyone else because he has so much love and grace and compassion and he can take anything we can throw at him. <laughs> so I want to thank Pastor Joe, all the leadership of MPI, all the people that have gone before. And like Augustine said, this has been going on for 2,000 years, so it is in no way a small thing. And again, I just give all the thanks and the glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. So proud of you. It's amazing. We'll save the best for last. And here is Brian Wampler. Man, God is good. Um, man, I'm just so blessed to just be able to say that I got saved here five years ago. This has just been an amazing church to me. Uh, man, I was, I was fresh off the streets. You know, I was, the lifestyle I was living just left me with, like, paranoia, fear. You know, I got in trouble with the law for some guns. My life was just a wreck. You know, I was a nervous wreck. Literally, I smoked, like, two packs of cigarettes a day. It was, it was insane. And uh, as soon as I started coming here, man, just brothers welcomed me in. A couple brothers took me under their wing, you know, trained me up, raised me up, and, uh, just showed me the way of the Lord, and uh, you know, times got tough, highs and lows, uh, but I kept my faith strong in God, and uh, it paid off, man, and, and I'm here now, and I'm just excited for this new season, this new chapter, and uh, just want to continue to be the hands and feet of, of Jesus. Awesome man of God, and here she is, last but not least, the sister with some spiritual swag, Car uh, Carl. I mess her up like that. I'm so sorry. The spiritual was spi uh, the sister with spiritual swag, Carol Garcia. Yeah. Something special about her, you know. Carol came from another church and. They don't really believe in le uh, women leadership there. They wouldn't appoint her at a, p at a position like this. And sh she came so humbly just believing that there was more, that there was more of the Holy Spirit and all of these things. And she came humbly, and she was such a great leader, but she didn't have those opportunities before. And I never had any issues with her saying, well, I don't understand this, and I don't agree. She just opened up her heart. 
and let God use her. And she is a testimony for anybody that's here today that comes from another church. Because a lot of our people are like Brian and Augustine that, that get saved here. But she's a testimony that if you just come and just humble yourself and learn wherever you're at, God will take you to new levels. And now this Friday, I'll put in a promo promotion for her. She is producing a play for our young people at Elevate. What's it called? Exit? No exit. No exit. And it's going to be like one of those things that's going to scare the hell out of the young people. So bring them Friday to the play. They'll hear about heaven and hell and scary stuff. And hopefully they'll live for Jesus because they'll hear the gospel. Amen. Give it up for Carol one more time. Hi. Hi. Sorry. I'm a crybaby. Should I say everything? Um, but, yeah, I'm just thankful to be here. And like Pastor Joe mentioned, yeah, I, I always... When I was in, you know, another church, um, I was, I knew I had a leadership, you know, the leader in me, but I wasn't really able to portray it or to even, like, you know, um, to take it out, out of me. I was always, like, on the down low with it. Um, and it's just a privilege just to be here, you know, be able for the opportunity to be able to lead the drama team. You know, that's something that was always placed on my heart, um, that God put in my heart, was, and I was just never able to do it. And to just come here and to be trusted and just to be um, to be part of that, to be leading the youth and just to be here um, as a leader, it means so much. Um, because like I said, you know, he said, I didn't believe in girls leading pastors. Actually, that was one of our first disagreements. Um, and then he taught me, you know, he was very patient and taught me like, you know, like this is not right. You need to know the truth. And I already came with the heart of knowing that God had more, like God had more for me in my life. And I was putting Jesus in a box. Um, so I wanted to know more what God has stored for me. And, you know, MPI has able to literally, like, lead me and teach me very patiently with, like, no, you're wrong, you know, and this and that. Or, you know, any condemnation, it was always been like, okay, you're willing to learn. You know, we're going to lead you. We're going to lead you the right way. And they've always been here for me. Like, Pastor Ellie is a great pastor, um, very patient. Um, you know, when I didn't know anything, he didn't yell at me. You know, like, I took the hundred-word paper, so I was like, give me a hundred-word paper. Like, I want to learn, you know. Um, so, yeah, the 201 class, I'm sorry. And this is Susie 101, my pastor, has been great. He's been amazing. Um, you and Nancy have been there for me throughout this whole time, through the rough times. And <laughs> Look, I appreciate you guys, and I look up to you both, and you're one of the marriage, and it's like being a husband being a father, you know, being a friend, so I never had that, thank you. Thank you so much, I love you, I love them all. Guys, would you just stand and face me, please, and then elders and deacons that are here, would you come stand behind them? We're going to now pray for them, and then we'll have a time of greeting and pictures with you and your friends and family. Um, it's so unique that you guys are both in couples, uh, relationships here. And so this is wonderful. This is how God intends to build the church is through our families. And neither one of you are yet engaged, but you're very serious about your relationship. So I would just like to encourage you to pray and to seek God for engagement and for marriage because that's what he's asked us to do. And if it's not for that, no pressure, no pressure, then you're, you're dating somebody else's wife basically. So, you know, if you don't want to date somebody else's wife, you better put a ring on it. Right, fellas? Okay, ladies, amen. So I just want to encourage the men. I don't know how I got to preaching on that, but that happened, so take it. But let me just say that I'm so impressed with each one of you. I have spent time with you. I have hung out with each one of you. Uh, I, I just am so grateful that you're here with me. 
uh, and my wife. And where's Nancy? Can she come stand next to me? I, is she doing something? Can you go get her? Because i got to stall because we want to pray together for you guys. Augustine, from the days of the youth group, you've been faithful. And, and you know what? God is going to reward you for that and get ready for new things to happen. From the time we met at that restaurant, your passion has never wavered. You helped us at Wicker Park. Thank you. And for Brian, you helped basically build Wicker Park. At that time, we really got to know each other. I offended you a little bit, hurt your feelings. I apologize, and we made it right, right? We're good now. Boop. You know what I'm saying? Because sometimes pastors make people cry, you know what I'm saying? Because it hurts so bad. Why would you say it, pastor? But I was just tired and all that, and I had to repent, you know. But God is gracious, and you've seen me do that. So if you ever lose your temper, you could be like, hey, my pastor knows how to repent. I should repent too. And then, Carol, thank you for those tears. And I mean it when I say you're one of our favorites. I, d I, I just have to say that. It may make, may make Alex and Maria jealous, but I have to say you're one of my favorites. I'm kidding. They're one of my favorites too. You guys are all my favorites, everybody. Aren't they all our favorites? It's it's just weird, I know. But she is fun to be with. Carol's really fun. And you're more than just fun. You're very smart and intelligent. And I think you've made it very easy for us. So you kept saying we didn't yell or, or get mad at you. But you made it very easy for us because you were teachable. You're like, I want to learn. What does this mean, you know? So let's pray. Guys, let's all stretch our hands towards them in the sanctuary and elders and deacons putting their hand on the shoulder. Lord, we just come in agreement with them right now with my wife and I as we lay hands on them. And we pray for you, Lord, uh, pray, Lord, for them that you will bless them and appoint them, uh, strengthen them, God. Give them supernatural ability to lead, encouragement, and love. May they uh, serve others as you have served them. Lord, when you came to this earth, you didn't look for a title. You actually took off your robe and grabbed a towel and washed people's feet. So, Lord, I pray that they will, you know, exemplify the heart of a servant by washing the feet of the God's people, that they will go out and win the lost at any cost. They'll lay down their lives, God, and that you'll bless them and encourage them. And as we have two uh, young couples here, I pray that you'll confirm to them whether this is their spouse and should they become engaged and married, and you would bless them and bless all that they put their hands to do. And in this congregation, we bless them and we're thankful for them. All of this we pray and ask in Jesus' name. And everybody says... Amen. Let's give him a hand clap. And would you stand up with us and give Jesus a hand clap? Isn't he pretty awesome? Guys, would you turn around and face them? We're going to put on some party music. Why don't you come take pictures with them? Congratulate them.
Amen. Let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, please. Good to have you here in the house of God. Please keep fellowshipping if you need to get some more pictures, and then we will hang out afterwards. I'm excited. We are finishing up the sermon series on the kingdom of God. Today's uh, kingdom message, yes, is the king and his coming kingdom. So this is going to be about the end times. I hope you guys are ready to get spooked out a little bit. And also to be encouraged because Jesus is coming back soon. And so let us look to where we've been at all this series. And we'll be starting a new series next month, so come please. And it's going to be called Abide. Everybody say Abide. We're getting it from John 15. We are the branches. He is the vine. He wants us to abide in him. So if you've been wanting to work on getting closer to God, you know, growing in your prayer life, learning to hear the voice of God, Um, You know, things about inner peace, you know, learning how to feel, uh, you know, his presence more. I think all of these, uh, all those messages are going to encourage you. Now, we are at the end of this sermon series. You guys have been with us mostly for the whole time. If you're new, that's okay. I'm going to do a little review here. But today's message, I hope, will put together all that we have been learning, okay? So let's look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. If you're there, say, I'm there. And let's read it together. Let's let's read it together. One, two, three. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Okay, so we are learning about the kingdom of God. Here's the definition. The kingdom of God is the Father's dominion over all creation, ruled by his Son and our King, Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit. Everybody say the kingdom of God. Come on, the kingdom of God. It's very important. Now, we went through the sermon series. We started in September, and the very first message we preached, if you want to look it up, it's on the online. Uh, the very first message was on the kingdom of God, and there I talked about the three different aspects of the kingdom of God, just for review, the kingdom there. Everybody point up to heaven and say there, there. This is where the Father and Son sit on thrones and receive worship with the angels and the saints that have gone on before us. We all believe in a heaven, right? So there's the kingdom there. If our body dies, our souls go there to that place called heaven. But there's also a kingdom here. Everybody say here, point to here and say here. Thank you. Jesus spoke about that kingdom and that it would be inside of our hearts and it would happen at rebirth. And it would not be physical, but it would be spiritual in nature. John 3, 3, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. If you're not born again, you can't get in. Luke 17, 21, reference here says, you won't point to the kingdom and say, there it is or there it is. No, the kingdom is nigh. It's even in your heart. And also a couple weeks ago, we talked about the kingdom being righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Right standing with God, inner peace, and joy serving the Lord. Does anybody have joy today? It's okay to smile in church. Look at your neighbor and smile. It's okay. Even if you have to fake it, just fake it right now. Come on, it will feel good. Serotonin will be released to your body as you smile. It's a physical principle. And then there is the kingdom coming. Everybody say the kingdom coming and point like this. The kingdom coming. Let's do it again. The kingdom coming. It's ahead of us. It's coming to the earth. And that's what we're talking about today, where heaven comes to earth, where God rules and reigns on earth, where there's a throne on earth, where there is a judgment here on earth, everything happening on earth. Now, going back to today's message, we're talking about the kingdom coming. 
three aspects of the kingdom. The kingdom there, the kingdom here, and the kingdom coming. Today we're talking about the kingdom coming. Now when we look at this message, the kingdom coming, we are going to start seeing that there's supposed to be signs and evidences that we're getting close to Jesus' return. So open up your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. And let's look at how we know that Jesus is getting close to coming back. As you're turning there, get this in your heart. As surely as Jesus came the first time, he's coming again the second time. First time as a baby in a manger to suffer and die for our sins. Second time as a conquering king. Okay? This time it's not going to be little Dito Jesus. Oh, there's little Dito Jesus. This is second coming. No, not little Dito Jesus. This is conquering King Jesus. Now watch this. This will blow your mind. little fun fact right here. little nuggy. Matthew chapter 24 is going to give us some talks about Jesus' second coming. Okay? Jesus' first coming has about 300 prophecies, 300 verses in the Bible that talk about it. Do you know how many verses are in the Bible talking about his second coming, including this passage in Matthew 24? 2,400, 2,400 verses about his second coming. All those passages, if you've ever read in the prophets, like Isaiah, where it says the lion lays with the lamb, and then on the mountain of the Lord there is peace, and all this, you know, um, all this symbolism, and all of it, that's all talking about when Jesus comes to earth, okay? So this is a big deal. The first coming, 300 verses. Second coming, 2,400 verses. So there's a lot to pay attention to. But what I love about Jesus is how simplistic. Uh, how simple he is. He explains it to us so we can understand just like we learned with the parables. So look at this, Matthew 24, verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was walking away with his disciples, and they came up to him, and they called his attention to the buildings. Now look what he does when they do this. So they're walking around, like imagine us going downtown, and us pointing to the Trump Tower, us pointing to the Hancock. They're walking around Jerusalem, and the biggest thing there is the temple and these big buildings. And, and, the, and the disciples are like, Jesus, look at all this cool stuff right here. Now Jesus says in verse 2, he says, do you see all these things, he asked? Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Jesus here now says, the buildings you see will come crumbling down. This temple you see will come tumbling down. Imagine if I said that standing downtown. That would be very apocalyptic, right? That would be a little scary. You'd be like, oh, my gosh, when's that going to happen? Do you know when that happened? Jesus was writing this at 30 A.D. Do you know when that happened? 70 A.D. The Romans invaded Jerusalem and took it over. Oh, they had already occupied it, but they took away the land from the Jewish, made them exile, get out of the land, and they destroyed their temples and their buildings. Now imagine you were alive at this time when Jesus said it. Now it happens in front of you. Aren't you thinking you're going to take Jesus serious about some of the other stuff he's going to talk about? So he points to this as an example, like, guys, I know what I'm talking about when it comes to the future. Look at these buildings. Look at this temple. The, they're all going to come down. And then all these other things are going to happen. So if we can take his word for that, the buildings and all that came down, we can take his word for the second coming signs. Amen? We can trust him. Okay? So he says, do you see all these things? Verse 2, truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and they said, tell us, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? They asked him three questions. When will this happen? Number one, the first thing he, Jesus was talking about was these buildings coming down. When will this happen, Jesus? 
Number two, what will be the sign of your coming? Number three, and the sign or the uh, evidence of the end of the age? Those are the three questions. Now, Jesus answers them starting off in verse four. Jesus says, watch out that no one deceives you. Think about this. The first thing Jesus says about us being ready for him to come back again is don't be deceived. So do you think it's any coincidence that now we are 2,000 years from Jesus' time? We must be getting closer, right, to the end. We are 2,000 years closer than the way Peter and all those guys were, right? And is it any coincidence that as we have gotten closer, deception has increased? When I, as a pastor, talk to people today, I hear the most craziest outlandish ideas. Because of the Internet age, everybody can get information all these different ways, and they put it all together like one smorgasbord of religion, a little Buddha, a little Krishna, a little Oprah, a little science, and that's what I believe, right? Look at the deception that's in the world today. Do you, do you think that's increasing? I believe it is. Jesus said that's the first thing you need to look out for. For many will come in my name saying, uh, claiming I'm the Messiah and will deceive many. Now look at this. This could be like what people would say, an easy prediction. Jesus says, you know what, there's going to be a lot of imitators of me. But that's not just what he says. He says, they will claim to be me and deceive many. Now, has there ever been a time than the time we're living in now where more people have claimed to be Jesus and deceive as many as they're, they're deceiving? Never. I'll show you some of their pictures here today. It will blow your mind. We are alive at the time of the largest false messiahs. Some of them claim and have upwards of 100,000 million, some of them a million members. There's never been that many in the human history. Trust me, we've studied this out. Number six, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but still the end has, has not, is still to come. So we'll talk about wars and rumors of wars in just a little bit. Nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. See, that's a key here. It doesn't just say that there's going to be wars like one nation against another, but there's going to be civil wars. There's going to be unrest among people in their own tribe, in their own uh, place, their own kingdom. Then look at this. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Now, somebody might say, well, that's kind of easy, you know, to predict famines. But hold on. Think about this. We live in a world right now, especially in the Western culture, where we have enough food to feed the entire world, and we're the most obese that we've ever been. Why is there famines? There should be no reason for famines. If Americans would just take the food that they throw away from our buffets and all that we waste, if you've ever worked at a restaurant, you know what I'm talking about, or if you've ever had kids and you feed them, you've got to throw away so much of that food they don't eat, we could feed the whole world. But why are there famines? See, this is a sign. It's not just a coincidence. You couldn't just shoot this out in the dark and guess. And then earthquakes, we'll look at that. All these are the beginning of pains. Look at this, verse 9. You will be handed over and put to death, persecuted. Think about this. Have you seen persecution increase just in your time? Those of you who have watched those videos and have seen the ISIS terrorists beheading, when has that ever happened? This level of persecution, and I'll show you that it is unprecedented. You'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, watch this, many will turn from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And now watch, many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. So the, these now are not just false cries saying, I, I am Jesus. These are people saying, I'm not Jesus, but I hear from Jesus a lot, and this is what he's wanting me to tell you. Wait till we get into some of this stuff in a moment. But I'm telling you, like never before, if you're paying attention, you're seeing these things. Now look at verse 12, because I think this will hit home more to, to anybody else, uh, more than anything else. I know it certainly did for me. 
Look at this. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Think of the kind of people you're going to meet tomorrow at your job. Are they going to be on fire, Christians, being like, man, I love Jesus. I read my Bible and pray. Or are they going to be lukewarm, like, eh, kind of about Jesus? Why is that? Because wickedness has increased. When have we ever seen so much sexual perversion? They say right now in hospitals, more babies are born outside of wedlock than are born in marriage. That's never happened before. The violence we see in our teenagers, the, the media, just compare 1950s television to what you're watching today. And now look at how how it's impacted people's hearts. People's hearts are getting cold. Their hearts are not on fire for God. The church is dying in North America. And we'll talk about where it's going in just a little bit. Uh, but look at the wickedness and why so many people are losing their passion for God. It's not that God has changed. It's not that science has disproved God. It's that wickedness is giving people another alternative. And people are choosing wickedness. See, I've been to 12 Mardi Gras. Preaching the gospel at all of them, I might add, okay? So, so I wasn't just like screaming out there getting crazy. But here's the thing. When you go out to Mardi Gras and you see people getting crazy and you're from the Midwest, you know, you'll be like, oh, my gosh, how do they do this? This is so wild. People showing their boobies and their drunkenness. Like, what's going on out here? You know, let me tell you, these are not prostitutes. They're not strippers. They're doctors. They're lawyers. They're college students. All Bourbon Street is, all Mardi Gras is, is a certain time and place where they let the wickedness happen a little bit more. Where Lamar Odin OD'd in Nevada, they allow prostitution. If we allowed prostitution in Chicago, don't you think there would be people there? If we allowed drug use, they'd be doing it. See, the only thing is right now man's law kind of suppresses wickedness. And when you get places like Mardi Gras or Nevada, they just raise the bar a little bit of sin. And you see how quickly whoosh, people go right to that next level. And people would go as far as you would let them go if there wasn't a penalty. Hello, somebody. If murder wasn't a sin, or murder wasn't against the law, people would be murdering all over the place today. If rape wasn't against the law, people would be raping. I'm telling you, this is the way it was in times when there wasn't law. But look at this, verse 13. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So what is the last sign here? And the gospel of the what? And the gospel of the what? Come on, everybody say kingdom. And this gospel of the kingdom, thank you, will be preached in how much of the world? The whole world as a testimony to all nations. Then the end will come. So the last and final sign is the one I believe we are waiting for. Now you guys ready to see some evidence? If you were paying attention, you would notice that Jesus gave us these eight signs that we can look forward to to see in our day and age. The, day and age. the first thing that he says is the... Um, the false Christ. Right now, Apollo Quibloy in Davao, Philippines, who I've written the book, Apollo Quibloy, The False Kingdom, is the largest antichrist, uh, false Christ on the planet right now. He has upwards of 100,000 followers just in that city, and he claims to have a million around the earth. He does not say, he does not say, I believe in Jesus. This man teaches, I am Jesus. He says, I am the appointed son of God. These people in his church worship him as the appointed son of God. This is unprecedented. Any other time people could have called themselves Jesus, they would have been considered lunatics. Nobody would have believed them. That wasn't what just Jesus said. First of all, why would you even want to imitate Jesus as he claims to be God in the flesh? You'd have to be crazy to even try to do that, right? The man who raises the dead. So you're looking at a whole other level of lunacy. But he doesn't just say people will claim to be me. He says they will claim to be me and deceive many. 
and deceived many. The Apollo Quibloi cult is the biggest one-man figure right now who claims to be Jesus. There's also the Mother God cult. The woman says she is Mother God because she was married to Jesus God, and now she is left as Je- that her husband died. Uh, so that just shows you how, how that was false. Jesus died and didn't raise from the dead. Our Jesus came once, died, raised from the dead. This woman claims to be the mother of God because she was married to Jesus, God the mother, which is weird. It's like almost an incestual thing. You have to get into their doctrine to understand. This is at their conference. This is in South Korea, the mother God cult, the World Mission Society of the Church of God. And if you're saying to yourself, man, I don't believe any of this stuff, I've already met both of these organizations here in Chicago. The Apollo Quibloy cult has come to the grocery store I was at and was selling things on behalf of their cult, and so has this one. They love to sell things in the name of charity, but they are a part of a cult. They believe that their leader is literally God in the flesh. Now, if you put that together with all of the other false ones, did anybody ever hear of the Jesus of Puerto Rico? Did anybody ever hear of him? You all never heard of Jesus Puerto Rico? Oh, my goodness. He had his people tattooing 666 on their head, and he was in Miami. Jesus of Puerto Rico. Some of you are like, man, don't be messing with the Boricuas. What are you talking about? We don't have nobody crazy like that. That's just the white people. Oh, no, 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 no. It's all cross-cultural now. So you got Korean, you got Korean mother God, and then you have Josue Luis de La, uh, Miranda. This guy, uh, let me see if we, this is all one just calling him out here. Yeah, they get, he's getting his people with uh, 666 tattooed on them. He had about 5,000 followers. He put his, uh, his teachings all over the Internet, places like Colombia, Spanish-speaking nations. Uh, this man here, right here, believed to be, just put up the volume. We'll let them see if they can hear it a little bit. And keep it up for me, and I'll control it from here. Thank you. Just keep it up there. He is the Antichrist. He is the Antichrist. Not the embodiment of evil, but rather the second coming. Not the embodiment of okay. evil, but rather the second coming. Not the embodiment of evil, but rather the second. So this person who made this video is annoying. Okay. It's like, let's just keep repeating that. Let's not. Let's get this right here. Okay, let's go here. So this man believes he is Jesus. Let's just get him some interviews. You don't even think I'm making this stuff up. This is what this stuff looks like. Okay. Yeah, Vissarion, and uh, where's he at, Russia? Yeah. Yeah, there's on my page, thefalsekingdom.com, I have a video that interviews them all, the major figures of today. I'm just doing this for all my gente in here, all my Puerto Rican friends and family. Of course, now it's not going to come up and play. But the bottom line is, let's leave him alone right now. But you guys trust me, okay? And he died, by the way. So the other Jesus of the Korea place, he died. This guy died. And they all claimed to be Jesus. Reverend Sung Young Moon, he claimed to be Jesus in the 70s. He's dead. And so what do you see? You see more mass deception of people claiming to be Christ than never before. How about wars and rumors of wars? Remember we talked about this before. Like, no, that might be easy, right? You know, you know people are always going to be fighting. Maybe that's just a guess. But if you just simply look at Wikipedia and just the number of wars and conflicts, it will blow your mind. There's over 120 just from World War II. 
the war in Vietnam, the Iran crisis. They had the Greek Civil War. There are so many civil wars that have happened in the last 50 years most of us have not paid attention to unless you're from these countries. The Paraguayan Civil War, the Indo-Pakistani War. Remember, that was during the time of Gandhi and the nation of Is uh, Islam was fighting against the Hindus and Pakistan had to become its own nation. Civil War. I could be here all day. The Korean Civil War, which separated North and South Korea. The Costa Rican Civil War. I'm just in 1948, people. Are you listening here? Now, there is a reason why in 1948 things started increasing. Now, let me just say this before I go into these, this, this war thing here. When you look at this passage, Jesus talked about three things happening, all right? Uh, they asked him the, the questions of three things, and I believe he answered them. When will this happen? He never mentioned when will it will happen, but we know that it happened in 70 A.D., so that's the easiest one. Some people believe that later on in the passage when he says that you see your nation surrounded or, or things like that, then you should head for the hills, so that could be a simplistic answer. But we know that it happened in 70 A.D. What will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age is really the big deal here. And what I believe that is is, na is the Israel, uh, the nation of Israel becoming, uh, the people of Israel having their nation again. So I have this big chart right here. Does everybody like end time charts? Okay. We'll get to this if I have some time. There's so much to talk about. It's already 3 o'clock. How did this happen? I'm like literally on point two right now. <laughs> yeah. This. Oh, you never seen an end times chart? Well, welcome to your first one. I have charts and charts for days. Okay. So many things to talk about. Okay, but my point in doing this is, when is that going to happen? The temples are going to be destroyed. I think it's either when he said that the nation is surrounded or when it actually happened in 70 AD. Not a lot to go on with that. But what we do know, when will be the sign of your return? I do believe that's when you see the fig trees bud, what he said later on this passage, which is the nation of Israel being restored to its homeland. Now, if you look right there, number five, uh, 1948, Israel became a nation. And from that time of their destruction of 70 AD, they had not had occupancy of Jerusalem. Okay, that's over 1,900. 900 years, uh, basically almost 1,900 years of them not having occupancy of their nation and then all of a sudden them getting it back. And what was the cataclysmic situation that got their nation back? Was the Holocaust when they tried to, when Hitler tried to exterminate the Jews. So you can see we're now entering into another level of the end times. And so when the Jews got their place, they were delivered from the Holocaust. I believe that's what set in motion the increase, the snowball effect of all of these things. That's why I started the war thing here from 48, and that's why I count a lot of the conflicts and earthquakes from that time period. But anyways, just the bottom line is recently it's been cray. How about this, the South Sudanese Civil War, uh, Sudan, the Iraq Civil War, the Libyan Civil War? All of these wars have been going on. Hotel Rwanda, you remember seeing that movie? Those two different ethnic groups fighting amongst themselves. All of these things have been happening. Do you see them increasing or decreasing, my friends? Just be honest. Do you see these increasing or decreasing? False Christs, are they getting bigger or smaller? Okay. Wars and conflicts, less or more? More. Be honest. Look at the facts. If you don't believe me, check it out yourself. Okay. The next thing, famines. Now, somebody might say, you know, we've made a little bit of difference in, in famines. That is true. Uh, through a lot of our efforts, famines have gone down a little bit. But extreme poverty is not going down. Extreme poverty is increasing because of three different isms, okay? And I don't have time to get into all of this, but you can look here if I can enlarge this up here a little bit for you. Three different isms make poverty the what, what it is around the world. Islam, 
makes it a problem because they kill their people and take away their freedoms. Communism, that's like the Middle East, communism in places like China and Vietnam, and they oppress their people. And then fascism, like in North Korea where they worship their dictator, these places prevent us as missionaries from even bringing them our food. When we try to bring them food to Mozambique, which has a Muslim population, the warlords take our food, take our medicine. I have missionary friends that are there. Okay, So there's really no reason why we should be having people starving, but it's because of the evils of these isms. And they all disbelieve in the God of the Bible. Are you listening? Islam disbelieves in the God of the Bible. And socialism, I mean uh, fascism and communism don't believe even there is a God. So yeah, we've seen a little bit of these things going on and that there's there's lives being saved but what we really see is an increase of population and more and more people suffering because of extreme poverty and even just if it goes down from a billion to 800 million isn't that still a lot and isn't that increasing isn't it increasing to a place where we should never have had it let it be to 800 million that increased in the modern age okay that's still our age now, earthquakes, you can look here at Live Science. None of these are Christian websites. These are just places for you to research. Earthquakes, here's a scientist talking about. Between 1900 and 2004, the average yearly rate of earthquakes of a magnitude 8 and larger was 0.65. Now, in the last 10 years, that rate has jumped to 1.8, an increase of almost a factor of 3. So three times as many earthquakes at that size. They're increasing, and they're increasing in their damage. Christian persecution, you guys have seen the videos, you guys know what's going on, but I'll just show it to you again, okay, I won't make us watch this disgusting thing, but uh, you know, praise God for our, our saints that, uh, who stand up under these persecutions, amen, so here's, here's what it looks like right now around the world, they're beheading us, I'm going to get some of those gross pictures out of there, I, you know, can't prevent it from stopping what we're up, we're all adults here, at least young adults, when these crazy lunatics, you know we put beheading of the Egyptian Christians here because that really says it best, right? Behead Egyptian Christians. This is what we need to think about. Now, has this been increasing or decreasing? It has been increasing, increasing. Now, when you see this picture, we have a question to ask ourselves. Why are they so militant on killing our brothers and sisters? Why are they doing that? Why did that person, when he went into the mall, he was set on, or rather the college, he was set on killing Christians because the hatred for Christians increases over time. And right now in our secularized society, it's doing the same thing. As you can see, the gay agenda being lifted up, there's becoming a hatred towards Christians because we're being looked at as backwards and we're beginning to be persecuted more and more and they're becoming angry with us. Well, listen, I grew up in, you know, in the time when this wasn't happening on TV and I couldn't imagine being beheaded. But what does the Bible say what the Antichrist will do to people who don't receive the mark? They will be beheaded. What a barbaric way to kill people. And now we're seeing it introduced again by Islam, and they love to do this to Christians. These are the, the, the favorite ones they love to torture is Christians. Now we see next the turning away. I mean, really, do I even need to show any stats? I mean, just pick out your favorite movie star, your favorite sports. Even look at right now the people you know. Divorce is on the rise or lack of marriage is on the rise. You know, divorce kept going up and up, and then it, then it kind of plateaued because then people stopped getting married. They just started living together. Like I said, babies being born out of wedlock. What about the increase of wickedness? 
abortion. Think about this. Right now, we are killing babies, and we have the most technology we've ever had before. You're talking people used to live in villages and not kill their babies and raise them. You know, like all of our families probably came from rural areas. You know, I was with one of our guys in in a Mexico mission trip. We're in a village, you know, dirt floor, chickens running around. They're taking care of their children, right? We live in a modern society, and Americans are killing their children 3,000 a day, a million a year, 50 million since Roe v. Wade in the 70s. We are killing our own babies. People are doing this. Homosexuality. Think about what people would have thought of homosexuality. Now, I'm not saying we should uh, uh, you know, treat them bad or be mean, but it's a sin. It's a sin, it's a sin, it's a sin. Now it's gay pride. And my friends, I used to live in New Orleans. New Orleans Gay Pride Fest was one of the biggest in the nation. They also have another festival called Decadence, okay? I cannot even describe to you the vile acts that would happen down there. As a matter of fact, one pastor went down there. He took a camera with him and actually showed it to the city and said, look at what I just videotaped here live sex acts nudity perversion everywhere and they said hey they're not hurting anybody this is what our world has turned to and then violence chicago now i know there was times maybe in the 90s we were more violent than we are now but listen to the reputation we have chirac look at the death toll of americans why are inner city kids dying there's no reason to die they have fresh water they have fresh food they don't have to kill to eat but yet there's a spirit of violence coming through the music coming through the spirit of this age The devil's mad. He's attacking this generation. Now look at all of these three things. What do these three things have in common? What the devil comes to do? Steal, kill, and destroy. Killing off our generation through abortion. Homosexuality, making us um, infertile, not able to reproduce godly families anymore. And violence, destroying the image of God in man. When you're killing, when a person kills a man, he's killing the image of God. That man did not give that the, the murderer did not create that life. How can he take that life? So when he pulls that trigger, you know, stabs that person, they are defiling, rebelling, high treason against the image of God. That's what God said to Cain before he killed, uh, after he killed his, his, his brother Abel. He said, where is your brother? And his brother said, what am I, my brother's keeper? The obvious answer is yes. We are the keepers of humanity through God's help, the kingdom of God through us. That's what we should be doing. And now lastly, the gospel being preached to all the nations. This is what we're waiting for. This is what we're doing. This is why I believe the Lord has not yet come. We are now reaching these people groups. This is growing faster than it's ever grown. The places where the gospel is growing the fastest is not in North America. The places where the gospel is growing the fastest is in places like China. They say right now they have 100 million Christians, and that has happened just within the last 40 or 50 years, 100 million. Brazil now has more Pentecostal believers than America. America used to be one of the biggest. South Korea has a church of 750,000 members. There are multiple churches of 100,000 around the world. Listen to it. One of my pastors that I looked up to in Louisiana named Larry Stockstill, he went to a pastor's conference overseas and listen, in the pastor's conference they had a breakout section for a session for pastors who pastored more than 100,000 people. Now you'll know why I got the 100,000 vision, right? Now watch this. This was when I was a young man. He told me this story. He said, I'm at a pastor's conference and they say, here's a breakout section. Pastors, you pastoring more than 100,000 go here and get some advice on how to handle that congregation. He says to himself in America, this is crazy. The biggest churches we have are only twenty or 30,000, and we're in the land of the free. We have all the money in the world. We're the wealthiest nation, and our biggest churches are only twenty or 30,000. He's thinking to himself, how can there be churches of 100,000? Who's going to this? He goes there. He peeks in. He says, I look through the windows, and he said, the saddest thing occurred to me. There was not one American there. You know why? Because there's churches in 
Nigeria with over 100,000. There's churches in India with over 100,000. There's churches in China with over 100,000. Indonesia of over 100,000. But no American. Colombia, Bogota, Colombia has a church of 400,000, Cesar Castellanos. Not one in America. And the biggest one we have is Joel Osteen, a half, half wit of a preacher. You know what I'm saying? He doesn't even preach the true gospel. And that's only 40,000. And there's a there's church in Bogota, 400,000, 750,000 in South Korea. Let me just show you right here a prayer meeting in uh, Young, because we, um, we have a girl from uh, Lada. She just got to become a, um, a deacon today. She's from Brazil. The Brazilian church is on fire. Look at this right here. This is Young. Hold on. Hold on. I gotta be careful with what I'm showing up here. Young, Chicho. If, if any nudity comes up on this thing, Chicho Brazil prayer meeting. Let's do this. I get too excited with this right here now in front of me. Okay, let's see here. There we go. This is this is Cho in Brazil. This was one of the largest groups of people ever gathered on the planet together. I think there was like three million people here. This is in Brazil. Brazil, like I said, has churches of over 100,000, more Pentecostal Christians there than in America, and we're believing God to preach the gospel around the world. Can I hear an amen? amen. Here's the simple timeline for those of you who would just like to see it like this. 33 AD, Jesus is dead, buried, resurrected. Pentecost comes a few, a few days later, and that's when the last days start. Peter says this is the last days. This is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. So if the last day started 2,000 years ago, what are we in now? Probably the last seconds of the last minute of the last hour of the last day, right? So that's why we've been seeing these things increase. Maybe a little fluctuation here and there, but a great increase. Then there was that destruction in 70 AD. The next major event that we see is the Great Reformation because I believe the Roman Catholic Church in the book of Revelation is the whore of Babylon, and she's the one that defiled the church around 300 A.D. I don't have time to get into that, but when Paul talked away, talked about the great falling away in the book of Revelation, talks about a woman who's a prostitute, rides a beast, and she gets drunk off the saint's blood, I believe that's the Roman Catholic Church because of the inquisitions and them killing the Jewish people and killing Christians at that time. When we want to translate our Bible into the modern language out of Latin, and the Roman Catholic tortured us and killed us, okay? Does anybody remember seeing Braveheart and how he died at the end? He had his entrails dragged out. These were like the Inquisitions. That's what the Catholic Church did to us. The only reason why the Catholic Church looks nice and pretty right now is because it's been stopped by America. At one time, America didn't even want Roman Catholics here because Rome was bringing its own domination of church and state, and we wanted nothing to do with it. So the picture you see of Roman Catholicism here is not even really the real one. To get the picture of Roman Catholicism, you need to go to those Latin American countries where they worship the dead priests in those cathedrals where they still have a false sense of, of God, idolatry, demonic worship, and then see the kind of uh, uh, one-world system the Pope wants to bring about. And I don't even have time to get into all that because that's going to freak you guys out, okay? But maybe I'll explain a whole other thing on the woman who rides the beast, the Roman Catholic Church. But I love Catholics. How many people love Catholics? I love Catholics, Mormons, Jehovah Witness, all of them. But their doctrine equals the damnation, Okay. So the Great Reformation, we get the Bible in our hands. We're free from the whore of Babylon, praise the Lord. Um, 
then a few years, a uh, few hundred years later, we see that Israel is reunited. Now that is where I believe the signs begin to happen and increase. And now we're waiting for number six, the rapture of the church, okay? So Tim LaHaye books, Left Behind, things like this, you guys can get more information on. Oh, by the way, right here, I have a whole entire sermon series on the end times, okay? So if you guys feel I'm going through this too fast, look at this, end times, debates, teachings, and charts, okay? So you can go through all of this, all of these terms, more charts, more charts, more charts, all these smart people talking about charts. Then I go into all of these different things that are supposed to happen, is diseases, didn't even have time to talk about diseases and AIDS and all of that stuff, nuclear warfare, satellite TV, don't have time to talk about that. And then, praise the Lord, I preached four messages on the end times. How many think that's pretty cool? Amen. Praise God. All the God. All glory to God. You know, we may be wrong on some of these things, but we're as Christians trying to do our best. But I'll tell you what we're not wrong on is that Jesus is coming back and it's going to get bad before it gets better. So the bottom line is we're, uh, we're doing our best as pastors to really study 2,400 scriptures. There's a lot to study there. Rapture of the church. Then there's going to be that time of the Antichrist, the tribulation. The Jewish people are going to rebuild their temple. Then the world is going to try to come against them and exterminate them like another holocaust. That's when God is going to pour out the bowls of wrath, number nine. And then he's going to come down at the battle of Armageddon, number ten. Then it's going to be the white throne judgment. Then the new heaven and new earth. And so let me just say this for those of you who just don't have time to get all into it. I mean, there's only two people like this, okay? I work hard for this. There's only two people like me. But you guys got to like this stuff right here, okay? I like it. I won't say, uh, I can't like it twice. I think I've already liked it once, so I can't like it again. See, it won't let me do it. Okay, anyways, this, <laughs> this, you guys all feel sorry for me now. The second coming of Jesus, because here's what I want us all to get here, right? We heard all of this, and what happens? It's all scary. It's all weird. There's earthquakes. There's false Christ. What is this Mother God thing? That's crazy. Wars, civil wars, beheading. Like, wow, this is all cray, right? But the second coming of Jesus was never meant to be about the Antichrist. It was never meant to be about judgment, the bowls of wrath, all of those things coming in Revelation, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, signs or prophecies. But rather it was and will forever be about the establishing of God's kingdom on earth through the person of Jesus. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So where some of us may be scared of all those things, we should be rejoicing because we know Jesus is coming back. He actually called all of those crazy things the beginning of birth pains. All the women who have children, you understand that. It's painful. It's painful. It's painful. Ah! Child comes, right? That's where we're at. It's painful. It's painful. People are killing Christians. Judgment. You know, abortion. All this painful, painful. But Jesus is coming. Jesus is allowing us to see the evil that we tasted from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He's telling us this is really what it looks like. See, Adam and Eve had no idea what the knowledge was going to cost. Now after 6,000 years, years of human history, 4,000 B.C., I believe Adam and Eve were created, 2,000, uh, you know, 0 A.D. is when Jesus came, you know, etc. 2,000 years after 6,000 years of human history, we have now seen what good and evil looks like. The church is here. God's people are here. Love is here. You're, you love your family, but you see all this wickedness. Listen, God's going to make it right. Okay, it's not about the, the craziness. It's about our Savior coming back. And let me just say this. The signs are awesome to give us a reminder because they, they are there to help us. But the most important thing we need to know is that the kingdom of God is here within us. That, to me, is the greatest sign that Jesus is coming back for you. The Bible says he has given you a deposit of the Holy Spirit to tell you he's coming. He made a down payment on you. 
He gave you the Holy Spirit. So if you feel peace in your heart when you pray or you sense God in your life, that's a greater sign than anything that you could ever see on this earth that Jesus is coming back because he did not leave you here as orphans. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back with you. For where I am, you will also be. Amen? So it's never been about those things. It's been about Jesus. And the final place is not heaven. When we die now, our souls go to heaven. But it's about getting back our bodies and living upon the earth and ruling and reigning with Jesus. And so here's what I want to say in closing as Rachel comes, please. I really want you to see this scripture because this is how Peter preached. This is how they talked about the end times. They didn't get all scary and spooky, though a lot of it was scary. They wanted us to focus on the most important things, like the old saying, major on the major, minor on the minors. Here's Peter preaching. This is Peter, right? Now, tell me if this sounds like something we should do. Repent, then, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah, who he has appointed for you, even Jesus. So imagine I'm going 90 east on my way to downtown, but really I want to go to Kenosha, Wisconsin. You've got to be like, no, you've got to turn around. You've got to repent of your wrong direction, right? And so we're, we're here, 21st century. A lot of the world is living for the devil. They're not serving God. And Peter is preaching like this, and we should preach like this. Repent. Turn to God. Why? Because it's scary and I don't want to go to hell. No, turn to God so that refreshing may come. So that your soul may be refreshed. Think about that. Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. In the midst of tragedy, in the midst of pain, and it may not even be in time pain, you might be feeling any kind of pain, a loss of a loved one, a, a loss of a job. You may be feeling in your soul, soul dry right now. It's like a desert. God is saying to you, come to me. I'll wipe out the sin and I'll refresh you. I'll pour the water on the inside of you. I will cleanse you. And then I will send you Jesus. Do you know that when you repent and come to Jesus and be refreshed, do you know that's actually you saying to the Father, I want more, send him. I have the Holy Spirit, but now send me Jesus and redeem this wicked world. We are preparing the way of the Lord. John the Baptist prepared the first coming of the Lord. We are now repair, uh, preparing his way. Think about a plane landing on an air, uh, air, um, airstrip late at night with the signals, the lights on, preparing that way. We are the light of the world. We are shining bright in this dark world. And we're saying, Maranatha, that's what the church used to say. You know, now we say, God bless you, God bless you. But the church used to say, Maranatha, Maranatha, may the Lord come. That was an Aramaic word. May the Lord come. Think about that. We're preparing the way, repenting of our sins, and we're saying, come Jesus. Come Jesus. Verse 21, Peter kept going on. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Do you know that the majority of those 2,400 scriptures about the second coming are all in the Old Testament? They're in the books of Isaiah, in the book of Ezekiel, in the book of Daniel. Oh, praise God. Can I show you the one in Daniel before we leave out of here today? How many want to see the one in Daniel? I want to just show you, here is Daniel. Remember Daniel in the lion's den? 
How many remember the story of Daniel in the lion's den? Look at the vision that Daniel gets. I mean, it's of the beast. It's all, I mean, by the way, the book of Revelation and Daniel have more in common than any other two books in the Bible. Now watch this right here. In the midst of all these crazy things happening, this is Daniel, like a thousand years before Jesus, 3,000 years ago for us. He says, I looked, and there were thrones set in place. The Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was blazing with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing before him, coming out before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was open. The books were open. This is the judgment day. The Ancient of Days is the Father. Now watch here. Just keep going. Verse 13, in my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man. Daniel didn't even know about Jesus until this vision. He only thought there was the Father. Now watch, there was before me one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power over all nations and peoples of every language. What? Worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Isn't that amazing? Daniel says, I was troubled in my spirit and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. Why was Daniel freaked out? He sees the end of the world. And he sees Jesus coming to the Father. He only knew the Father, but now he sees Jesus. His mind is blown. I'm troubled in my spirit, and I'm disturbed in my mind. But God begins to bring him peace. You can read the rest of the story. But imagine that God showed Daniel how it all ends, how it all comes to end. And when Jesus walked the earth, you know the number one term for himself was son of man. He was always looking to that prophetic picture that Daniel gave. He says, when the Son of Man comes, when the Son of Man comes, the Son of Man did not come to serve, but be served, uh, to, to, to serve, to be served, but to serve. He always called himself the Son of Man because he was painting that picture for them. I'm that one. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything. See, listen, guys, the end times is not about destroying stuff, though that happens. More than that, it's about restoring stuff. Can we just turn off these lights real quick? Can I just talk to your heart for a minute? I know I've talked a lot to your head. Can I talk to your heart? Everything that has been taken from you, your joy, your peace, God wants to restore to you. He wants his kingdom to come in us now. But there are some things that right now, the joy in our heart don't fix. For example, the Holocaust. Many Jewish people came to Christ after that. But it doesn't fix watching their loved ones be burned in incinerators and gassed. But God says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay them. You see, if there is no God, evil wins in the end. Hitler wins. He killed all the Jews. He had ultimate power in Germany for many years. And when he was being surrounded, shot himself. No justice. He wins. Evil wins. What are you going to do? Big, You know, exhume his body, set it on fire, and then say, now take that. It's over. But if there is a God, there's an accounting for everything we've done in this world. And so what that means is 
evil stands before God and the evil things people have done and things that were taken from us because of evil are restored to us. See, every tear is wiped away from our eyes. That is a picture of restoration. So there are some of you here, please listen to me. There are some of you here, maybe you lost your childhood because you were abused or you didn't have good parents and you lost it. It's gone. You don't get it back. You don't ever get to go back to kindergarten with purity in your heart. You only feel defilement when you look back at kindergarten. Or you don't get to go back to first grade and have a good time with your family because your dad never was around. Listen, there is pain in people's life. Just as an example, that right now is not a race just because you're in church. But the kingdom coming restores everything. You will be there or I should say here upon the new earth, longer than you were hurt here. And Jesus restores what you lost. You lost six years here. You lost 12 years here. You lost this sense of purity or belonging or, or wholeness here. You were broken here. You were hurt here. Well, in eternity, year after year, you are loved. You are accepted. You are beloved. You are cared for. You are never left alone year after year after year in the kingdom of our God. In the kingdom of our God, it never ends until it's all restored. Every pain, everything that was taken. That's why he said to his disciples, do you understand? They crucified him and they killed the disciples. Paul was beheaded by Nero in Rome. Peter one day was leaving Rome because they were killing all the Christians. And as Peter was leaving, he saw a vision of Jesus heading the other direction back to Rome. And Jesus said to Peter, uh, Peter said to Jesus in the vision, where are you going? And Jesus, Jesus said, I'm going to suffer with my people. And Peter said, I'm leaving to avoid the suffering. And Jesus said, then I will go alone. And Peter turned around and said, I'll go with you and die with you. Because Jesus said, what you did to the least of these, you did to me. Read Matthew chapter 25. Anyone that's been hurt in life here, Jesus takes it personal. He said, when you didn't feed these, when you didn't care for these, you did it for me. Peter turned back around and went there and was crucified. And as they were crucifying him, Peter said, I'm not worthy to die like Jesus. Turned me upside down and he died upside down on a cross. Jesus said to his disciples, they will, I'll just show you, they will persecute you, they will kill you, but look at the reward he says they have. Look at this, Matthew chapter 5 and the Beatitudes. Listen to what he tells them right here. He says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. Great is your reward in the kingdom coming. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets before them. See, Jesus wasn't giving empty promises. Jesus wasn't just giving pie in the sky, stuff like, hey, just give it all up now and then you'll get something up there. No, Jesus was being real. He was telling them, you will suffer here. You will die here. But you rejoice. You be glad. Not because of the evil. Don't rejoice in the evil. You rejoice in me because I defeated the evil. The Bible says, be of good cheer. In this world you will have many troubles. Does not the Bible say that? In this world, you will have many troubles. 
but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. Can I just preach to you for 30 more seconds? Don't let me lie. Maybe like a minute here, right? Listen to what it says right here. Thank you. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And can I read that scripture for you quickly? And that, that one that I mentioned here in this passage, Revelation chapter 5 says that we will shine. Revelation chapter uh, 5 verse 15, I believe. I'll go to it here. says that we will shine with the Lord and rule with him upon this new earth put it in wrong. I'm just so excited. I just don't want to just preach at you guys. I want you to see it in the word. Amen. I want you to trust God through your troubles with me. Trust God. I want us both to be trusting God. Why is that not coming up? Silly thing. That's what happens when a preacher tries to teach at the same time. I have no idea what's going on. Oh, here it is. Look at this. Look at this scripture right here. Revelation chapter 5 verse 10. Look at this with me. Would you please stand with me in closing? How many feel Jesus in this place? How many believe there's hope? Look at what it says. Revelation, altar workers, would you come please with the band? Look at what it says here. You are worthy to take and open the scrolls because you are slain with the blood you purchased for God. Persons from every tribe and language, people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. It's the only time you see priests about us being in the present. It's with all of us as unto God. And they will what? And they will what? And they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon ten thousand, thousands, tens of thousands, times ten thousand. He encircled the throne. You want to know how the book ends, my friends? Let's look at how the book ends. Look at Revelation chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Remember the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man? Everybody asks, where is the Holy Spirit? There he is, the river of life. The angel took me to this place. There's the throne. There's the Lamb. Here's the river. Flows from the Lamb and of God down the middle of the great street of the city, New Jerusalem, on earth. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. Remember the tree of life was in the Garden of Eden, but we chose the tree of knowledge and good and evil. There it is again, the kingdom restored. Everything the devil took, we get back. 6,000 hu- 6, years of human history, you know all it was? was a lesson for humanity. Do you want me or do you not? We started in a garden with trees. We chose wrongly. All of this happened. Jesus died to set it right. And those who choose him in back in the garden on earth with trees. But now there's no more need of the tree of knowledge and good and evil because we don't even need it. We know we don't want it. There's just the tree of life. Bearing 12 crops, yielding its fruit in every month, and the leaves of the tree are healing for the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. Same, same understanding that we have of the deacons. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light or a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to send his servants to things that must soon take place. Jesus now talks, look, I'm coming soon. Blessed are the ones who keep the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. And I don't have time to go through this today, but I just want to ask you, are you ready to meet Jesus? 
Because if there's anything today that you would change, you need to change it now. Like, I mean, if there's anything like you would change if you knew Jesus was coming back, why not change it now? If I said to you, I know for a fact, you know, like if somehow I knew, boom, Jesus is coming today, what would you do differently? Well, do it now. Well, I would go repent to this person. Well, go repent to them now. Well, I would go preach to this person. Go preach to them now. We have to live every day with the knowledge that Jesus can come back and be ready for him. Blessed are those who keep these words. I just want to say this last thing in closing. When I was a young man, I, I lived in New Orleans, and I would go to the beach all the time to go fishing. And the best time to go fishing would be the spring. At that same time was spring break. And I remember being there on the piers during spring break, and I'm talking, you know, Pensacola, Panama City, these beaches would be packed with those spring break partiers. The lights would be all over the, the beach. You could hear the music. It would be to like 4 in the morning. I'm fishing at night all by myself, all by myself in my 20s. I started pastoring my first church at 22 years old, man. I would be there like 24, 25 years old, and I'm just sitting there fishing on a pier. All this partying going on. And then on the inside of me, you know what, what I got tempted with? So why not just go party? Come on, what is it going to matter? Who's going to care? Who can even know if you did it or not? Just go party. Go hook up with a girl. Go do this. And I want to tell you something. The world at that age, for me, it looked so glamorous. looked so fun. And it was like within reach. And here I am sitting, standing, whatever, fishing on this pier with the weight of the world on my shoulders as a young pastor. This person doesn't like me. This person's leaving the church. I don't have money to pay this bill. What am I going to do? And there, right there, right down the, right down the road, is freedom. Do what I want. Cast off this religious stuff. But in my heart, I could hear God speak to me. You know what he would say to me? Joe, am I worth it all? my worth at all. And that's what that word worthy means. Is that he's worth it all. And I would repent. And I would say, God, I'm sorry. I know where that road leads. I know where those parties end. I don't need to go down that road again. Been there, done that. Had the t-shirt. Woke up drunk with puke on it at the toilet the next day. And then threw that t-shirt away. I don't need to go there. I know where this ends. And then in my heart, you know what I began to feel? You know what I began to feel right there on that fishing pier? I began to feel the kingdom of heaven. I began to feel refreshing. I would feel Jesus. I would feel the power of God sweep over me. And I would be reminded, this is the difference. The world and its desires passes away. But the one who loves the God endures forever. This endures forever. Not that party, not this money, not that building, not even my own flesh and blood or my good looks. It's the kingdom of God. And so today, friends, are you ready? Are you ready? Do you want it? Do you want God to come? Is he here now? Is he here? Is he here? I'm talking, is he on the inside of you? Do you sense God? Are you at home with God in your soul? Are you refreshed? Is there a closeness to God where you hear him talk? Because that's the kingdom now. And if you have that now when the kingdom comes, Oh, my friends, the Bible says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared for us. Because I know it may sound crazy, but I believe God wants us to say this. 
If we knew he was coming today, we would say, I wouldn't change a thing. Because I'm walking in step with his spirit every day. I wouldn't change a thing. I would say, God, I have preached, I have taught, I have witnessed, I have given. My hands are clean. Come, Jesus, bring me home. Make the wrongs right. But if you got to change stuff, that's why you got to repent. And I got to repent when we mess it up. Because he wants to refresh us and make it right. Can I get an amen for that? Let's pray. Father, we want to be ready for your son to come back. We want to do this the right way, Jesus. We want to be ready when you come back. Not scrambling to put all the clothes away because we got an unexpected visitor. With every head bowed and eyes closed, even as I'm saying that, do you know that like three or four of Jesus' parables about the kingdom have to do about him coming back unexpectedly? Let me just say in an attitude of prayer, I'll just say it, and please think of these things. Jesus gave the parable of the virgins waiting for the bridegroom to come. They're there like in the wedding party, and they got to keep their lamps burning, but five of them don't bring enough oil. The oil goes out, right? And then here comes the wedding party. Here comes the bridegroom. And guess what? They can't get in. They can't be in the party. They didn't have enough oil. They didn't repent and get their life right. There's another parable of a man, he has a vineyard, he leaves his people in charge, and he says, I'll be back, I'm going to come back. And listen, I'm not telling you when I'm coming back, but I'm coming back. He comes back and he finds the person he left in charge getting drunk and beating the servants. You know what he does? He casts him out into the fire, the Bible says. And then there's another parable that I think sometimes we, we miss, but it has everything to do with the kingdom of God. And that is that prodigal son. The prodigal son leaves, he leaves, and then he comes back. But what we don't understand is that there was another brother there who had never left, but when the prodigal son left and came back, that brother was angry. And you know what that was? Was a bitter person in the house, in the kingdom, not doing nothing for anybody, and never appreciated when new people got saved. And he never got the party. Because he didn't have the right attitude. He missed out on what life was about. Whether you're looking at the virgins, the marriage parable, whether you're looking at the steward, uh, I mean the brother that stayed, it's all about are you kingdom minded? Are you in the kingdom now? Are you with your father now? Are you doing what you're supposed to be doing now? Every head bowed, please. In an attitude of prayer, I plead with you as your pastor, would you just prepare your heart? I'm doing my best to help you do that. Would we do that now on our own? Rachel, would you sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. As she does, will you make that decision in your heart? I just want to serve him and love him. I don't want to be scared of hell. I want to be driven by the love of heaven. I don't want to be driven by the fear of hell. I want to be driven by the love of heaven. And whatever I need to repent of, I repent of and turn to him. So I can be refreshed. Because I don't know like where you're going through, but I need to be refreshed. I need him, Jesus. I need him. And I have faith that he'll restore everything. Some of you are repenting. The rest of you, can you pray for restoration? Some of you can just start right now just praying, God, I trust you to restore and whatever you can restore on earth, do it. 
You know, you may not get back your high school years, but you know what? God will make these years better. I can testify to that. I missed prom. I was on drugs. I never got to go to the homecoming game. I was on drugs. But you know what? I've been having the greatest time loving Jesus. And so I'm getting a taste of restoration. I'm getting a taste of what that devil stole from me. So if you need to repent, would you do so? And if you need to pray for restoration, would you just do it right now in faith? And say, God, here's my brokenness. Will you heal? Heal, God. Restore. Restore. Bring it back, God. And some of you who have lost loved ones or have seen a lot of pain, you know what? You're right. You may not see it on this earth, but I want to promise you something. There's a kingdom coming where it's restored. There's a kingdom coming where it's restored. Don't let this temporary pain take away an eternity of joy. 30 more seconds. Who's ready to follow him no matter what it takes? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth, in me as it is in heaven today. All the way, Jesus. All the way, Jesus. From my wife, my kids, everything that I have is yours. Maranatha, Lord, come quickly, Jesus. We need you down here, God. We need you, God. Our city needs you, Jesus. We just don't want to talk about you, God. We want to experience you, God. We need you. No turning back. No turning back. Now let's sing it all together before we leave and dismiss. Would you sing it with us? The world behind me, the cross the before me. World behind me, yes, Lord. The cross before. Do you see the cross today? Are you cross-eyed today? Do you see the love of the Savior today? He'll carry you through this world until you make it to his kingdom. Do you see the cross of Jesus today? Because this world ain't worth it, friends. just feel we need to do something. Come on, keep singing though. Just the men now, just the men and the voices of the men. Don't be embarrassed. We're going to sing it out, men. Come on. The world, the world behind me. Come on, men. Mean it today. The cross before me. Every movie of bravery is about this. The world behind me. Come on, this is our time to be in the 300. The cross be full. This is the time to fight for what matters most now. The world behind me. The cross be for me. No turning back. Yes, Lord. Now, just the ladies, I want you to sing it out with the meaning of love and romance. This is the greatest love story. Come on, woman. Every heartbreak, every disappointment in relationship, every emotional emptiness you've ever felt, come on, in this world, there's the lover of your soul standing before you. 
And he's saying, will you follow me? I satisfy. He says, I'll heal every hurt, every pain, every emotional distress. time all together I have decided to follow Jesus if you mean it would you just raise your hands as a sign of surrender we surrender Lord our life belongs to you Lord Jesus we stand with our Egyptian brothers and sisters the Syrian Christians those suffering in the concentration camps of North Korea right now the house church leaders of China those suffering right now in Latin America to the drug lords, we stand up for Jesus today. We will follow Jesus. We will pass the torch on to the next generation. Here we are, Lord. No turning back. No turning back. No turning back. Would you look up at me before we close out in prayer? I love you so much, saints. Thank you for making this second service amazing. I'm going to have Steve pray for us. But as he gets ready to pray, would you hold somebody's hand as a sign of saying, hey, I got your back, brother, sister, I'm with you. Because you know what we're going to pray for now? We're going to pray we all make it. We're going to pray we all get to be in that kingdom, amen? And we're going to fill up these chairs with our brothers and our sisters, our co-workers, our neighbors. Steve's got a testimony that he could tell you if you got time, but he leads our gang ministry. He's going to fill up these chairs with Latin kings, genies. He's going to fill it up. Who are you going to bring to church next week? Who are you going to reach out to? Let's all make it to the kingdom and let's not go by ourselves. Let's go with our community, amen. Let's go with our gente, hermanos. Oh, Father, we thank you, Lord God. God, we love you, God. We love your kingdom, God. We love your perspective. We love your purposes, God. And I just pray, Lord God, that we will begin, Lord God, to allow your kingdom to fill us up in such a way, God, that we begin to serve you not for serving sake, God, but to serve you, Lord God, as serving the king of our life, God. I pray, Lord God, that that service will look like us going out and showing the kingdom to the world, God. Allow our citizenship of heaven be known on earth in the name of Jesus, God. For all people to see, God, that your kingdom is alive and active, God. Lord, it is striving. It is growing, God. And we are the ones who are representing it, God. Have your way, Lord. Be exalted. Use us as vessels, Lord God, in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody says, amen. Amen. Man, slap your neighbor high five and say, get ready, get ready, get ready. The king is coming. God bless you as you go. If you need prayer, come on up. Otherwise, we're going to worship. Keep singing it out, Rachel. Have a great week. Enjoy your time together with your family. But if you need prayer, don't leave out till we can encourage you today. And if you want to sing with us, please do.
you, Jesus. Lord, bless those who are getting prayed for today and those who have to go. May we all serve you in the kingdom. We're here. Could you um, go to the I surrender all just as we're worshiping? Those who are receiving prayer, know that God is with you today. No matter what you face, God is able to make a way for you. And He cares about every pain you face and every trouble. So as you're praying, being prayed for today, just remember that. All we have to do is surrender to Him. We're going to keep worshiping, and those who need prayer, stay up here. But I want to sing this song before I go, which is, I surrender all, all to Jesus. His presence. 